Well, good morning. Are you ready for the Super Bowl? Maybe. You're ready for the commercials, right? At least the commercials. You know, there is uh, something that every single person uh, has in common in this place. And it's not that we wish Peyton Manning would come back next year, okay? Um, The thing that we have in common is that we have all been affected by the recession over the past few years. And I don't care if you make minimum wage or if you make six figures, the reality is that every single person in this gym has been impacted by the recession, by this downturn in our economy. Over 10% of us in this room today and throughout our community are unemployed or you've been unemployed over the past four years. Many of us are underemployed. We don't have the the same job that we had several years ago. And any of you who still have a retirement fund, you've found that to go down by 22% over the last four years on average. Some of us have lost our homes. Some of us have lost cars. Some of us have lost other things. Some of us have had to go through the pain of bankruptcy. And so in 2012, how are we going to rebuild our wealth? How are we going to build it wisely? And today I want to begin a new series that we'll be looking at called How Wise People Build Wealth. How Wise People Build Wealth. And each week over these next three Sundays, what I'll be doing is I'll take a particular story of a person who has built wise wealth, and we'll look at their story. And this morning, the story that I want us to look at is the story of Osceola McCarty. And uh, if you have your uh, little program when you walked in, there is her story is in this. So like, even if you don't like taking notes, you can follow along with her story because this is what we're going to read. Okay, so let's jump right in. It says, Osceola McCarty's lined brown hands, gnarled with arthritis, bore mute testimony to a lifetime spent washing and ironing other people's clothes. In July of 1995, the 87-year-old African-American woman from Mississippi donated $150,000 to the student scholarship program at the University of Southern Mississippi. I just want to help somebody's child go to college, said Miss McCarty. Any of you remember this story? Anybody at all? There's one, two, three, okay, a few of us. Well, the first time that I uh, read about this story, which was a few years ago, I thought, no way! Like, how can a person who's making minimum wage or less at the end of their life give a gift of $150,000? And I dug into it a little bit more because I wanted to know, how did this woman 
who had such minimal income use it in such a wise way? And uh, with Black History Month uh, being present, I wanted to share that with you, too, of a story of an African-American person who gives a lot of wisdom to us. I mean, how did she do it with such limited income? How was she wise? Now, as I walk through this story, what I'm going to invite you to do is I'm going to invite you to underline some words in the story. So there's a pen that should be on the back of your seat or if you're in the front, there's one in front of you. Uh, And what I'd like you to do is just kind of underline. It's like underline day, okay? So uh, we'll just underline part of her story. So let's look uh, at this next paragraph. It says, born on March 7, 1908, Osceola was raised in Mississippi by her mother, Lucy. Osceola recalls that her mother worked hard. That's what I want you to underline right there. Her mother worked hard. Her mother worked hard to support her young daughter. She sold candy at the local schoolhouse to supplement her meager earnings as a household cook. Folks, believe it or not, the work ethic of your parents has a direct correlation to how you look at and understand work. It's it's not across the board in every single example of every person, but in most people, the work ethic of the parent filters down to the kids. I mean, when I was growing up, um, I felt so blessed that my parents actually instilled within me a strong work ethic. And when children see their parents getting up in the morning, and they're excited about work, and they're ready to go to work, and they're willing to see that these kids can get a model and learn about the fact that diligent work is a part of God's plan. Because working, folks, is not just simply about making money. Working is a part of God's design. God designed us to work. And like I said, I'm grateful that my parents gave me that example. What I'm most grateful for is that they just didn't hand out money to me, but they handed out opportunities, they used to say. An opportunity to go and to work in my life. And hardworking parents set up an example for footsteps for kids to walk in, and we receive a great benefit. And uh, it's a win in people's lives. Let's look at the next paragraph. Young Osceola also worked. You can underline that. She also worked. From the beginning, she saved as much of her earnings as she possibly could. You can underline that. She saved as much of her earnings as she possibly could. She says, when I got enough, I'd go to the bank. The teller told me to put it in a savings account. I didn't know. I just kept on saving. I mean, those are some powerful words, aren't they? She saved as much as she possibly could. When was the last time in your life you've ever heard a statement like that? 
like never, right? 18 years ago, when uh, I became a pastor, I got married uh, in the first year that I was a pastor. And I had no clue how important money management was to being a part of God's plan. I always had been a saver. I was kind of tightwad. I saved everything. But like once I got married, I thought, it's time to live a little, you know? And I became a spender. So Chris is a spender, and I married Jennifer, who was a spender. Now you put two spenders together, guess what? It's not good. It's not good at all. It's not a good combination whatsoever. And uh, trouble was just around the corner. Now, the Bible says this. The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever they earn. Well, in that first year of marriage, Jennifer and I were very foolish. We spent whatever we earned And then we got this little card because they said, you are our best customer. And come, it's free. Just sign up. And we signed up. And we maxed that card out in the first year of our marriage. We couldn't even pay the minimum monthly payments. Because, you know, if you do the minimum monthly payments your whole life, You'll be making minimum monthly payments your whole life. That's how they get you. And so money was really, really, really tight. But our marriage was not tight at all. We were struggling big time. And something had to change. So I did something that I hate to do. I admitted I was wrong. And I asked somebody else for help. A friend of mine who was an accountant, uh, I asked him, would you sit down and would you help us? Because we are in a major mess. And the first thing he did was, he said, do you have scissors? And I said, yeah, man, I got scissors. We can afford scissors. It ain't that bad. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, I need those scissors. And then he said, please pull out your credit card. And he goes, and I thought, oh, man. Like my life had just ended. And then he got this ledger out, this big, long ledger. He said, I'm going to give it to you free. I was like, whoa, big deal, you know. And all of a sudden, he started listing down everything that we spent. And this was before, like, computer, like, quick books and all that kind of stuff, or it added it for you. You had to add it all yourself. So we have this ledger, and we're like doing all this stuff uh, longhand all the way down. And he helped us to put together a budget. We had never been on a budget in our whole marriage, and he helped us to put on a budget. And it was at that point that he introduced us uh, to a plan that I'm telling you, it has revolutionized my life. And this is the plan. It's a real easy plan. It's called the 10-10-80 plan. It's called the 10-10-80 plan. It's a simple 
uh, Christian plant. Now, I had never heard of it before, uh, and so I didn't know much about it. But this is what the plan says. It basically says that the first 10% that you have, you give all of your earnings, whatever it is, the total of those earnings, the first 10% you give to God. Now, this is across the board, uh, scripturally, it talks to us about that. And this concept, I've never known a serious-minded follower of God who has not taken this concept seriously. And it's called the tithing principle. Tithe simply means 10%. And so that's what uh, God uh, suggests that we, not suggests, he commands that we give that right off the top. Whatever it is you make, a lot, a little, you just give it. Now, the second thing that this plan says is that you take your second 10% and you save it. You hold it back. You save it. And this isn't like you're saving it for your big vacation. This is saving it and you never touch it. You never get tempted to touch that. It's not a mad money account. It's none of that stuff. You save it. It goes into your account because this, folks, when you do that over time, it actually works for you. And don't you want your money to work for you rather than you working for your money? Everybody would say that. And then finally, there's this last 80%, and that deals with our expenses. Everything that you owe, all your expenses, all those types of things. And I'm telling you, this revolutionized my thinking. Now, at the time, I was making $250 a week in this small little rural community where there were more hogs than people. I mean, you know... That's just the way it was. And um, when we looked at what we owed, we're like, there's no way we can do this. We just can't do it. And so uh, we came up with a plan of our own. It's kind of a different plan. And this is what our plan looked like. Five one ninety four. See, that doesn't sell as well as ten ten eighty, does it? But our plan was called the 5194. And what we decided was, God, we will give you 5% of our income and we will increase it by 1% until we get to the time. And with our savings, we just started with 1%. And we said we would increase that until we got to the 10% of it. And we just made this commitment. And uh, it was amazing how God honored that. And uh, in 1995, we were given 5% of our income. And within five years, we were able to finally get to that 10% to the time. And in the same way, we started with 1% of giving it away. And we actually, in 2005, we finally hit it to where we were living out this plan of the 10-10-80 plan. And ever since then, I have taught this at the jar. Now, this is what people will tell me all the time. I've heard it from some of you. They'll say, why do you teach on money? Because God taught on money. And then people will say, well, I know the 10-10-80 plan. I know you know it, but are you living it? Like, a lot of people know things. 
A lot of people know that the Super Bowl is today. How many of us are going? None. And in the same way, folks, a lot of you know this, but are you applying it? And so we started teaching this. And there are some people in this gym who have applied it. And in 2005, they started working towards this, and they're living it out. And I guarantee that some of them would stand up and they would tell you it is the best instruction teaching they've ever had. Because it comes straight, folks, from God's Word. Straight from God's Word. Now, before I move on, I want to uh, ask you a question that deals with this middle part, the whole concept of saving. What country on planet Earth has the smartest people in it, the highest percentage of smart people in it? How many? What country? No. You're not even a patriot if you don't say the United States. Golly! No! The United States, right? We're the smartest people. Everybody knows we're the smartest people. Do you think we're smarter than people in China? Absolutely! They eat with chopsticks, you know? I mean, we eat with silverware. They eat with chopsticks. Of course we're smarter. Did you know that the average wage earner in China, saves back 30% of their wages. They save 30%. Are we smarter than people in India? Somebody said India. No, we're smarter than people in India, aren't we? We're a lot smarter. They run our call centers, right? I mean, we're smarter than them. Of course we are. Average wage earner in India, folks, saves back 20% of their wages. Are we smarter than the French? I'm offending some of you right now, aren't I? Of course we're smarter than the French. We had to fight their war for crying out loud, you know? The average French wage earner saves 11%. You smell something coming? You know what the average, the average, smart, sophisticated, intelligent American saves out of their wage? 3.5%. Now, before the big crash came of 2008, guess what we saved? Negative. Negative 0.5%. You know what? If you save negative 0.5%, you will save yourself into bankruptcy. And that's exactly what happened. We got all these people that got in bankruptcy. Why? Because they thought saving was about spending. How smart are Americans. I could go on, but we don't have time for it. Let's go next. Next paragraph. When Osceola's childless aunt became ill, 
Osceola dropped out of school to care for her. She couldn't walk, and she needed me. She left school in the sixth grade. That's what I want you to underline. She left school in the sixth grade and was never able to return. How much education do you need as a wage earner to attain before you're smart enough to have wise money management or to live out a plan like the 1010A. I mean, how much education do you need? Did you know when the recession hit in 2008, there were thousands and thousands of college-educated, even MBA, our smartest people that deal with money, that filed bankruptcy during that time. And it was just up and to the right. Folks, I just want you to know this morning that wise biblical Management is not about education. It's about character, and it's about wisdom. It's just about being old-fashioned enough to be disciplined, to hold back on what you think you need the most. Osceola McCarty proved to the entire watching world. I mean, she only had a sixth-grade education, folks. Sixth-grade education, that's it. But she puts on a clinic for some of us in this room who have so much more education. She puts a clinic on how to manage money. Because financial freedom, folks, is not about education. It's really not even how much money you make. What it's about is character and wisdom. Next paragraph. For the next seven decades... Osceola washed and ironed and lived frugally. That's what I want you to underline right there. Lived frugally. She avoided the need for a car because she could just walk to church and shopping areas. And she used luxuries such as a window air conditioner only when the visitors came to call. She lived frugally. You want a chunk of wisdom this morning? Anybody want a chunk of wisdom? Some of you are looking like, no, I really don't. Well, here it is. You're going to get it anyways. Proverbs 15, 16. It says this. Better is a little money, meaning a little amount, with the blessing of God, than great wealth with turmoil. Turmoil. That's why I want to talk about a little bit. I want to talk about turmoil. You know what turmoil is? What is turmoil? It's headaches and stomach aches. It's creditors' letters. It's phone calls from lawyers. It's imminent bankruptcy. Did you know this? Listen to this statistic. More people filed bankruptcy last year than graduated from college. More people filed bankruptcy last year than graduated from college. How much better is it to live frugally To live within your means. To live within what you have than to live in turmoil. It's just a simple proverb that God gives to us. Now here's a probing question. How many of you are living frugally? How many of you are really living frugally? I mean, what if we could check this out? I was thinking about this week. What if we got together like a group of people 
And they were our frugality enforcement squad. And they would like go into people's homes, all jar people, and they'd make judgments and they would issue citations if you were not living frugally. So if they walked into your room or into your house and they saw a big flat screen TV, write them up. If they went in and they saw 18 pairs of women's shoes, write them up. If they uh, found golf clubs that hadn't been used for years in the closet, check mark. And then if we went to your garage and we found you had all this stuff in there that you were still paying on, we just would burn your garage down, you know? And you're like, wait a minute, bunch. That's nutty. That's not the way we should go about doing that. That is not the spirit of frugality, is it, that the Bible talks about? And you're right. It's not. That's not the spirit of frugality that the Bible talks about. That's not how a a church should ever do business. That would be destructive and divisive. That's not the way that the Bible presents this idea of living a frugal life. Now, let's think about it a little bit different way. The Bible tells us that in our lives, that God is going to provide for us, and and it's called God's provision. And God's provision typically grows. I mean, there's going to be up and down kind of times. There'll be times where we make more money uh, than others. But for the most part, that has a tendency of going up and to the right. Now, right below that is another kind of thing, and we could call this our expenses, or I'll call it our lifestyle choices. Our lifestyle choices. Now, here's what the Bible says. Living within your means versus turmoil. It says the difference between living in your means and turmoil is that you have to have some of this, and this is called margin. That there has to be some margin between God's provision and your lifestyle choices or your expenses. And when you get this distance between the two, you don't have turmoil, but you have peace. But when all of a sudden we decide that, you know what? I don't like my lifestyle choices, and I think I'm going to start going up a little bit further, a little bit further up, and maybe get to that crucial line between God's provision and our lifestyle choices, when you get to that point, folks, guess what you hit? You hit turmoil. You hit turmoil. And then pretty soon, guess what you stop doing? You say, well, now all of a sudden I don't have this 10% for God, and so I'm going to cut that out. And then you say, well, well, you know, I'm just living way beyond my means, so I don't have 10% to save. 
And folks, when you're not giving to God and you're not saving, guess what? It's not good. It's not good at all. And pretty soon, this 80% that you once had, you can't even do that. And you start creeping up away from what God's provision is. And when we hit that, we hit turmoil. And the creditors start calling. And you can't pay this bill, and you can't pay that bill. And you're just flipping, choosing bills to pay. And the collectors are calling. And you hit this concept of turmoil. And I'll tell you, as as your pastor, as someone who loves you, I don't want you to get there. I've seen people come into my office, and they've hit that point. And there's not much that anything, there's not much anything I can do. The proverb says this, better is a little money with a blessing of God than great wealth with turmoil. Folks, it's really important that you have some margin in your life. Now, reality is all of us would like to see this line right here, like go way up, wouldn't we? But the reality is, folks, it probably is not going to happen. This line is not going to go up too much. God is already providing for your needs, but he's like, hey, you know, can't drive a Lexus when you got an income for a Yugo, you know. And so you can't really change this line, but this line right here, folks, I could sit down with you or someone who's wise could sit down with you a lot wiser than me who knows how to money, manage money, and in a matter of three or four hours, folks, they could help you with that line. In fact, on February 20th, Some of you should write this down. February 20th, we're going to have a freedom financial small group where people are going to learn how to get out of debt, to deal with budgeting, all those kind of things. And this would be a smart choice. This would be a wise choice. This would be a character choice for you. Okay, back to our story with uh, Osceola. It says, when Osceola's mother and aunt died and left her some money, she added it to her savings. That's why you want to underline there. She added it to her savings. She converted unexpected income into savings. What a thought! How many of you, and don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you, in the back of your mind, you've already decided what you're going to use your federal income tax return for? Don't raise your hands. We know who you are, though. How many of you have already spent it? Like you've already decided. It isn't even here yet. Like the ship hadn't come in. You're like, I know what I'm spending it on. How many of you ever get a bonus at work or a relative gives you money for your birthday or Christmas? And how many of you, you know, a lot of people, they get unexpected wealth and they just go, where can I spend it? Woo! Got to spend it. First thing they do, they just spend it. And an increasing number of Americans are doing that over and over and over again. It's a down payment. People will, this is what kills me. You know, Christmas, they all, they all messed with your heads. They said 0% interest. You can have this thing for however long. 
And people were signing up like, sign me up. And then six months later or a year later, you signed up for something you should have never signed up for. And you're stuck. And the turmoil is just heading your way. Did you know that 80% of all the vehicles on U.S. highways, 80% of all the vehicles that you walked, that you drove in today, all the, all the cars, 80% of our vehicles probably in the church, in the parking lot right now, they owe more money on that car than what the car's worth. 80%. It's a true statistic. 80% of the cars on the roads, the owners owe more money on that car than what the car is worth. And it's not wise. But today, we can have a breakthrough. You can have a breakthrough from a sixth-grade educated washerwoman who said whenever some unexpected income arrives at the door, you save it. And when it wants to get out, you go, no, stay. You don't touch it. You let it stay stay there. You save it. It's an enormous difference over your life. Next paragraph. In 1947, her uncle left her a modest wood-framed house. And then underline this next sentence. In which she lived until the day she died. She lived in that house until the day she died. Here's another power-packed biblical concept from 1 Timothy 6.6. It says this. Godliness with what? What's it say? What? Contentment is great gain. You know, our society bombards us with this idea of more. It's the myth of more. You just got to obtain more. You got to buy more. You got to get more. Mo, 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 mo. Remember that uh, movie a few years ago called Mo Money? Mo Money, Mo Money. And then people just would get more. A couple years ago, uh, at one of our, our small group, our loving small group that Jennifer and I host in our home, some of those people started giving us a hard time about our television. We had a 36-inch box TV that was so big and large that uh, they would just laugh at us. They'd like, dude, you need to get a flat screen or something. And what they didn't realize was that in 2003, when we... Uh, we're living uh, in our home. Our neighbor said, I got this 36-inch TV, and we only had like a little 20-inch, and we're like, oh, yeah, now we're going to move. And he said, there's only one problem. There's a horizontal line that goes right through the middle of it, but you can get it fixed. And I was just dumb enough to believe that I could get it fixed. And I got this thing. It weighed 200 pounds. The children's ministry director and I, Jana Gobel at the time, we lifted this thing into my... Well, she really lifted it. I kind of helped her. And uh, we got it into our car, and we took it to a television repair place. I don't even think those things exist anymore. But we took it, and we get it to the television, 
And they said, oh, yeah, we can fix that. And they fixed it, 75 bucks. Now I've got myself a 36-inch TV for 75 bucks, And I'm like rolling, you know. Oh, yeah. I got my $75 TV that costs a lot more than that. And the TV worked great for seven years. But people in our small group started coming up to us every once in a while. They're like, you know, and some of them were even like kind. They would say, you know, that, that TV, some of the women, that TV could fall down on one of your kids. And I'm thinking, we got life insurance, you know? Don't send me emails, all right? And people were like, dude, you need a flat screen. That's what you need. You need to get in the 21st century. Splurge a little bit. I even had one guy that came up to me and said, man, your wife is a doctor. And I said, you're right, she is. She's a doctor with a 36-inch television that costs $75. Well, a couple years ago, we went to the store. And uh, Jen and I walked in, and she's like, you know, we should look at these new flat-screen TVs. I was like, okay, we can look. We ain't going to buy, but we can look. So we start looking around, and this salesman, he comes up, he starts giving me this whole sales pitch about how wonderful it is, how you could basically see Jesus inside this TV, you know. <clears throat> and finally I said, well, bottom line, what does it cost? He said, $1,500. Now, I tried to act like that didn't affect me. Like my wife's a doctor, I'm like, but all of a sudden my nose started bleeding. And I mean, you can't like prevent that, you know. My nose is bleeding. I'm trying to keep it. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's okay. We'll we'll talk to you later. And we drove home that day. And I felt so content with my 36-inch TV that I didn't have to worry about. Now, folks, it is very easier to get into the bigger and better concept. You just get bigger, you get better, and you just keep doing that over and over and over again. But the Bible is clear that contentment is what is great gain. It is contentment that allows you to live within your means so that you don't hit turmoil. Now, here's a true story. I hope we have enough time. Um, Last year, the horizontal line came back. And it would just stay for three or four minutes. And I didn't think that was a bad idea. You know, I thought that would be like icebreaker for the family. We'd just all sit down. We'd talk to each other. But with a two-year-old and a four-year-old, sometimes icebreakers don't work so bad because I want to watch my DVD, Dora. And so I said, hey, we'll just read a book, you know. Hey, that's a why. Go ahead, read a book for a little bit. And finally, Jen came home one day, and she said, honey, I really think we should look at it. I mean, the horizontal lines back. I mean, we're in the middle of stuff sometimes, and, you know, it doesn't work. And she goes, I just got a gift certificate, or a, uh, yeah, gift certificate for Best Buy. I went to this conference, and they gave us a $500 gift certificate. And so we went back to the store, and we looked. And you can't get a flat screen uh, for 500 bucks all the time for, you know, what we were trying to get. And so uh, I was like, well, I'm not going to pay. Well, then one of the guys in the small group, he pulled me aside. He said, dude, you really need a new TV. And I said, I know, but I'm not paying that price. He said, well, I got a friend who's a manager. He can get you 10% off of the TV. And so we went in there. We had coupons. We had stuff. They didn't even want to see us. I mean, we went in there, and we got this television finally 
for $300, and it was a lot more than that that we ever paid. You know what Osceola learned, folks? She learned a very important word that if you get nothing else, some of you today, this is the most important word you could have in your life, enough. You just say enough. In fact, let's say it together, okay, on three. One, two, three. Enough. What you have is enough. So the next time you're driving by the mall and you're just thinking that you have to go in there, just wave with all five fingers. Say, enough, enough. Pull up eBay on your screen if you have to. Look at all the items, all the junk they're trying to sell you. And just say, enough. You know, email them back. Like, don't even say anything. Just say, enough. I mean, that'll get people ticked off, you know. But enough. Enough is enough. Next paragraph. The customers who brought their washing and ironing to her home for more than 75 years read like the social register of her city. Because of the quality of her work, that's what I want you to underline, because of the quality of her work, she did laundry for some families for three generations. Here's the lesson for you folks. Proverbs 22:29. Do you see people skilled in their work? They will stand before kings. Now, what does that mean, that they'll stand before kings? It means that over the course of your life, folks, if you do good quality work, good things come to you. And it's true in almost every single field. A quality carpenter, a quality plumber, a quality butcher, baker, candlestick maker. You know, they, they don't lack for work because they do quality work. Because they do good work. They get loyal customers and they never have to have issues with income. And Osceola did quality work. And she stood before kings. Some of the most loyal people who made big income in her town came to her. Next statement. Osceola was smart enough to know what she didn't know. She sought counsel from people she could trust. That's what you could underline. She sought counsel from people that she could trust. Local officers at banks and attorney whose laundry she had done. Here's another proverb. In the abundance of counselors, there is much wisdom. Question for all of you. How many of you have ever taken all of your books, your checkbook, what you spend, and you just open it up to someone that you trust and say, could you look at this for a second and let me know how you think I'm doing? How am I spending my money? Wise people, folks, do that sort of thing. Foolish people keep secrets about their money. But wise people open it up and they let someone come in and look at it. They seek feedback about their investments, their taxes, their retirement plan, their giving. Simply put, wise people humble themselves enough to get trustworthy people to look at their financial picture. Three years ago, Jennifer and I did a will for ourselves and we hired someone who once a year will sit down and help us look at our finances. It's kind of like an annual doctor's checkup. And we pay because we want to get better at what we're doing. We ask him. He's a good Christian man. We just say, well, what do you see? How could we do something more? Because we want to get wiser and not dumber in this whole area of our finances. And on February 20th, you guys don't even have to pay somebody. You can just go. It's free of charge. We have a couple people who can sit down and they can help you 
and they're trustworthy. Next paragraph. Osceola was wise enough to acknowledge she wasn't going to live forever. That's why you want to underline. She wasn't going to live forever. Having never married and outliving her immediate family, she knew she'd be on her own in later years. In some of the earliest conversations with her, her bank advised on how she would provide for herself when she could no longer work. That's a very powerful line right there, isn't it? She knew she wasn't going to live forever. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 2 says this, There is a time to be born and a time to die. I found a very disturbing statistic this week that a quarter of all baby booners, in other words, if you're 44 to 61, a quarter of them have $1,000 or less in retirement. $1,000 or less. If you're Generation X, that's my generation, you're under 44, but you're not quite 27, we do even less. And Generation Y, or millennials, that they are even less than that. It's almost non-existent for Generation Y. And folks, we just live in denial that I'm never going to die. I'm going to be able to work forever. I'll always be a young kid at heart. This past week, I did a hard thing, but a smart thing on my dad's part. He and I went and we looked at assisted living facilities and facilities of nursing home care because he knows that one day he may have to be there. And we don't want to make that decision then. And I was just asking my dad, I said, how are you feeling about this? Because this feels a little bit overwhelming. You see, he's in the uh, uh, silent generation or traditionalist. They're good savers. This is what he said. He said, we all think we're going to work forever, but we're not. We're going to get old. And we need to make some provisions for those kind of things. And we'll talk about that later on. Next paragraph. Osceola's decision made earlier, that she made earlier, served her well in old age. She did not, she did conservative mutual funds and CDs and said, the money just accumulated. Underline that. The money just accumulated. Like I said, in 2005, I started teaching this whole 101080 thing. And this is what I discovered. That, folks, if you will take $100 and you'll put it away each month, it's $3 a day, a little bit more, not too much, but $3 a day, and you put that into a conservative mutual fund, just $3 a day, you, after 30 years, $3 a day, after 30 years in a mutual fund, you'll have $220,000, just $3 a day. You know what costs $3 a day? Starbucks. Every time you see Starbucks, you should see a dollar sign. I mean, I, I, last time I got one, I think it was like 3 bucks. It's probably 12 now. I don't know what it is. But just a Starbucks a day, and you do that every single day for 30 years, folks, and at the end of that time you'll have $220,000, a short period of time to do that. What does it take to do this, folks? You don't have to have a Ph.D. You don't have to have a higher education. You just have to have some margin in your life where you put $3 back a day. Last thing. Scripture says this. Osceola knew she had to provide for herself. 
But her deeper goal, that's what I want you to underline there, her deeper goal was to use her money to help others. So when her health began to fail, she told her advisor she wanted to give some funds to relatives, some money to her church, and she wanted 60% of it to go to the USM Scholarship Fund. She'd never been to college, and she said, I'm too old to get an education, but some of these under-resourced minority students could get a great education. Osceola just wanted to help, and she did all she could do. She wanted to do more, but she did all that she could do. And her deeper goal, folks, her deeper goal wasn't to keep the wealth for herself. It was to give it away. What do you think she felt like when she stood face-to-face in front of that college-age kid who got a free scholarship to the University of Southern Mississippi because of her wise living? What do you think she felt like? They, they, they brought her into a football game. There were 30,000 people, and they said, we want to introduce you to Osceola. She's just given $150,000, sixth-grade education. What do you think she felt like on that day? President Clinton invited her to the White House because he was so impressed by her. Harvard University gave her an honorary doctorate degree. Here's somebody with a sixth grade education, and they have an honorary doctorate degree from Harvard. Why? Because she was wise with what God gave her. For some of you, you should cut out this last scripture and hang it up. It says this. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. And some of you, I know, you're in uncertain times right now. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life That is truly life. God has invited you into truly life. He didn't go to a cross and die upon the cross just so you would struggle with turmoil all of your life. He wants you to be free. And so do I. Let's stand for a closing prayer. You know, folks, I really hope that some of you will make a decision today. I apologize that we went long. But I hope for some of you, you'll make a decision today. And then you'll make a decision really for, for the one thing, and that is for less turmoil. That you'll decide today that, hey, maybe I'll start like Bunch and I'll give 5% to God. And I'll start working towards a plan, but that you're going to work towards something. You'll make a decision for saving. You'll make a decision for generosity that you give to other people. But all of you just made a decision to stand up. I kind of encouraged you, but you stood up. And some of you, you need to stand today and say, you know what? Today is the day that the insanity stops. This line right here is no longer going to
go all the way to the top. It's just going to stop. And I'm going to get some help if I need to. And life will change. God, uh, there are people who are standing right now and they have uh, decisions to make. Some for life, some for another 10 years of turmoil. Some for freedom, some for enslavement. Some for the building of true wealth and some for just more stuff. Stuff that they can't even take into the next world anyway. God, you tell us to to pray, to ask you. And that if we ask, God, we'll receive it. It'll happen. And God, I've been praying all this week that there would be some people in this place, God, because the burden is heavy on them. I know it is. But they would take a stand today, a decision today, and say, I'm going to stop the insanity, God. You give me a line of provision, I'll live underneath it. And that's where we find freedom. So God, I pray for people in this place today, that as they leave from here, that they'll make a decision. like prayer for anything, come on up and uh, the baptism class is next.